0: Well, this morning I would, first off I want to, I would like to welcome you to our gathering. As some of you might know, I've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We are not we will not go through the entire Sermon on the Mount, but specifically I have been focusing on the Beatitudes. And This morning we are arriving to the final Beatitude. But as we begin this morning and to hear from God, I have a question for you guys, and most of you guys know that I like to ask questions, so you would please um, answer internally. You don't necessarily have to answer out loud. But my question for us this morning is the following. Have you ever been harassed? Have you experienced any type of persecution, any type of opposition, any type of rejection? And again, you can answer internally and as you're racking your brain to see if this is you, I have another follow-up question. When this happens, how have you responded? How have you reacted? How have you felt? If you're anything like myself, this might be true of you too. I've responded in fear. I've responded in anxiety. I've responded in uncertainty now the good news for us is that christ has much to say about this very issue i want to thank the praise team this morning they did an outstanding job pointing us to christ and his faithfulness and his wonderful character and as we're singing these words of trial and persecution and the reality that our heart our, our hearts are so prone to wander my prayer this morning and is that both you and I were encouraged as we heard these truths. So, like I said at the beginning, I have been walking through the Beatitudes. And just for a show of hands, how many of you have been here through all of the Beatitudes that I've gone through? Or at least heard them. Okay, then I have a follow-up question. Um, There's a word that's being repeated over and over and over again in the Beatitudes. And if you think you know the answer, uh, put your hand up. Okay, Chuck was the first one. Uh, and what is that word, Chuck? Oh, my goodness. He said it in Greek. And just for that, I kind of want to encourage him with this book. Come up here. Uh, wow. Uh, this is the book, Five English Reformers by J.C. Ryle. It would be an encouragement to you all. I gave him the answer at the beginning, by the way. <laughs> All right, so what are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are the opening statements on in the Sermon on the Mount. But these opening statements were not just made by any person, they were made by the second person of the Trinity, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not his first sermon, but it is a collection of his entire sermon that has been recorded for us. That is, This is his first recorded official sermon This is what some have called the manifesto of the king or the king's constitution, if you will. And we are so blessed that both you and I have a copy of his manuscript right here before us. And it's contained in the Gospel of Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter five through seven. So if you would be kind enough to follow along with me, Matthew five, starting in verse one. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, again, this is, we're getting a description of what Christ was doing. And here comes his first word, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So please allow me to rephrase and to review what we've covered because there's a lot of you that are joining us for the first time and also because I would like for all of us, the few, the proud, the men of fights, can I hear an amen, <laughs> that we would all be able to follow along what Christ has said thus far. You see in his opening manifesto, in his opening declaration, the King of Kings said the following, Happy are the spiritual beggars. Happy are the spiritually indigent ones, the spiritually bankrupt. Now, I know you're asking yourself this question who are they? Well, this is all review, by the way. These are men and women who recognize their total inability to save themselves, they're unable, they're impotent to save themselves they bring nothing to the table and because of god's righteousness they're not capable to earn or to work for or to achieve salvation on their own merits and it is precisely this person who is happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such and this is not based on their performance can i hear an amen to that truth second of all christ has said in his opening statement that highly favored are those who mourn over their personal sin against a thrice holy God. And again, it it is only a kingdom citizen, it is only that man and woman who belongs to the kingdom of Christ, who possesses true sorrow of the heart. But this is not sorrow according to the world. You see, the world and even precisely in Christ's day, the hypocrite, the Pharisee, the scribes, the Sadducees, they displayed some type of sorrow but they would put on a sad face. They would shed many tears. They would say the right things but they felt absolutely nothing in their hearts because their heart was so far removed. It is a hypocrite in this very sermon that Christ describes who will disfigure their face while they're fasting, praying loudly in the assemblies only to draw attention from fellow men. That's not the sorrow of the heart that Christ is describing in the Beatitudes. Christ further has told us, and uh, fortunate are the meek. Let me use another word to describe meekness. Happy, blessed, fortunate are the gentle, the humble, the mild, because they shall inherit the earth. Think about that for a moment, saints. The gentle, the meek, the mild, shall inherit the earth, and they will do so without promoting themselves without fighting for their desires, without making their wants and desires, making their demands known, without yielding a sword, weapons of mass destruction, riding in on military tanks, or if you remember my sermon regarding humility and being meek without being extra spicy. Worthy of envy are those who desire righteousness, those who desire godliness, those who desire holiness, Those who desire it in such a degree like you and I desire food and water. Those who are in great necessity of righteousness because they don't have it on their own. Those who are longing for the things that God desires. And it is only they who will be satisfied because righteousness will never disappoint. These are Christ's words. He further said, blessed are those who extend mercy. And I know as you read this beatitude, it almost seems like a quid pro quo, a this for that a works-based salvation, but that is a misunderstanding or a misreading of the text. Though it says that in English, the heart of Christ is the following. Christ has taught us that blessed are those who extend mercy. These are men and women. Uh, These men and women are able to extend mercy because they themselves have been the recipients of mercy. Can I hear an amen to that? That should describe you, Christian. You should be willing to extend mercy because you yourself have been the recipient of mercy. Christ further went on and said, blessed are the pure in heart. And it, as he described heart, he's talking about our emotions, our desires, our feelings, our wants. And Christ said, happier are those who have clean, pure emotions. Emotions that are not forbidden, uh, uh, that are corrupt from any sin or guilt, any evil desire, any, uh, any, any form of falsehood. Emotions that are sincere, unstained with any guilt pure in the eyes of God. Now, this is weighty. And if you're honest, we should all feel <clears throat> we should all feel overwhelmed. Now, when Christ made these pronouncements of blessings, I need to set the context. The Jews were not a privileged group of people. They were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for a deliverer. They were longing for a man skilled in the arts of war, a deliverer of the likes of King David, one who would deliver them from Rome's oppressive grip, one who would lead an insurrection against the authoritarian Roman government, government, one skilled in the arts of war, a war armed to the teeth, a military genius. That's what they were longing for. Now I want you to please imagine with me their great disappointment of the multitude as they were disillusioned when they heard the following words from Christ. As they're seeking a military general, Christ says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, happy are the mild, happy are those who do not assert themselves. Now this is clearly upside down. In addition to this, Christ continued giving us his manifesto. And he shocked them when he said the following, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, his disciples were not influential. They had no political power. They were blue collar working folk like you and I, fishermen, some of them were zealots. And the same goes to his immediate audience. They were oppressed, they were marginalized, they were silenced. They were abused, they were persecuted, they were taxed heavily by Rome. So as we consider these truths, it is fair for us to conclude that these, word, these words, these opening statements from Christ were unsettling and confusing to them. How can I say this? Because I know they tend to be unsettling and confusing in my heart. And it might be so with you. And why is that? Why are these words unsettling and confusing in our hearts? Why? Because my heart tends to respond completely the opposite of any of these beatitudes. Can I hear an amen? We tend to respond the opposite. Absent the spirit of God working in our hearts, I do not want to admit my spiritual poverty. I'm able to save myself. I have a record, I have a report card of all the good things that I have done and God owes me salvation. I don't want to admit my spiritual poverty. Absent the Spirit of God working in my heart, I don't want to see the gravity of my sin. I minimize my sin. I make peace with my sin. I compromise. I seek my sin. Absent the work of God in my heart, I don't want to be gentle. I don't want to be mild. But rather, I want to assert myself. I want to get what I want my way right away. Absent the work of the Spirit of God working in my heart, I don't desire righteousness like food and water, but I ch- chase after my comforts, my pleasure, my wants. Absent the Spirit of God, I don't extend mercy. Why? Because I get even. I don't want to have a pure heart. I'm deceptive, having impure motives, impure desires. Absent the Spirit of God, I'm not a peacemaker, but rather I break peace. I make war, I destroy, because it's far e- easier to tear down than to build up. In the last time, as we looked at the peacemaker beatitude, we learned that happy are those who establish peace. Blessed, highly favored, worthy of envy, supremely blessed are those who establish peace. Why? Because peacemaking is a godly quality. Our God is a God of peace, amen? Our God is a God of peace and so are his people. And as you read that beatitude related to peacemaking, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We learn that peacemaking is linked to sonship, which means that saints, uh, you and I start behaving like our father. And because our uh, our, our father is a peacemaking father, we ourselves also will establish peace because we are his child. So if you're his, you start behaving like your father. We make reconciliation a priority. We establish peace with others. We proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the only means of true peace with God. And at the heels of all this, we haven't started yet, by the way. Christ says the following. In human terms, if it couldn't get any worse, here comes the death blow. And he says the following. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the text, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and we would be convicted, Father, there's areas that we have yet to bow the knee before your throne, that your Spirit would embolden us to stand firm and that we would hear the words of our King clearly and that we would respond in obedience. As we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Please take a few moments and look at Matthew 5:10 again and read it to yourself. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, the Beatitudes have been dubbed as the ultimate stairway to heaven, and they seem to be building on top of the the previous one. And again, if we're honest with one another, we're realizing that these are very difficult and very weighty to accomplish on our own, and we are unable to accomplish on our own. But again, it is those men and women, those kingdom citizens who live different lives. They pursue different things. They live differently, they have different desires, different goals, they respond differently to sin and this is something the world is unable to understand. And why is that? Why can't the world understand this? The world can't understand what we say, what we affirm, what we proclaim, what we preach, what we believe, how we live our lives. Why? Because as you desire to walk in righteousness, as you desire to walk in holiness, those who walk in darkness, those who who belong in the kingdom of darkness, find it difficult to relate with us. And to be honest, our mere presence is upsetting to others. Have you ever experienced that? I know you have. Let me give you an example. Have you ever tried to explain any biblical truth to an unbeliever, such as forgiveness? Have you tried to explain forgiveness to an unbeliever? It's usually met with mockery. An expression that there's no room for mercy, no grace, no compassion. Why? Because they have the wrong view of man. They have a twisted, perverted view of mankind. There's no room for forgiveness. One and done. You wronged me and it's over. I cut several relationship with you. Or how about this one? I'll forgive, but I'll never forget what you've done. Have you ever tried explaining marriage and biblical roles Again, it's met with mockery. How about this one? Have you ever tried to uh, explain biblical manhood? Biblical womanhood? And the list goes on and on. The world doesn't understand. However, there was a time in which the world desired to live near Christian people, Christian organizations. uh, Humble, gentle, merciful, gracious, unassertive, peacemaking people were desired. And at, at one point in our history, Christians were the one that founded our country, laid the framework for our great country. And they were sought after to be partners, to be uh, employees, to take a run for political office. But presently, it seems that our government has done a 180 degree turn. There seems to be an anti-Christian sentiment felt in Washington. In addition, it seems that corporations seem to hire men and women who oppose Christian virtues. Would you agree with me? They seek to promote those who uh, and elevate those who oppose Christianity, those who live a life promoting lawlessness, debauchery insolence, sinfulness, pride, immorality, those who blaspheme the name of the Lord, those who scoff, mock, ridicule, or question scripture. Yet Christ said the following, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're still with me this morning, point number one is there in your outline, happy are the persecuted. Happy are the persecuted. Now again, this might appear crazy in human terms. Why? How is being persecuted, chased, driven out, harassed, or how about this word, canceled, happiness? How could it be? I would say it's quite the opposite. Again, I have to confess when I experience any type of opposition, rejection, harassment, or ridicule, my heart is quick to become discouraged. I'm quick to grumble, I'm quick to complain. I'm quick to attempt to defend myself, my rights. When I start to feel any opposition, I start to question why. And I might even say, could this be some type of divine punishment? What have I done? In pride, I start believing that everyone is out to give me. Do you identify with me? Again, I have to mention this. This is currently fashionable in our grievance culture, looking for ways that we have been sinned against, ways microaggressions, places where everyone is out to get us, everyone is out to do us harm, feeling victimized by all. However, this ought not to be so if you're a kingdom citizen. And this is not what Christ is referring in this beatitude. I want you to look at it, uh, look at it closely. I want you to consider what Christ is saying in these words. I'll read it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in order for this beatitude to be true, persecution must be for the following, and it's there in your outline, persecution for righteousness sake, persecution for righteousness sake. So, persecution in and of itself is not a sign of blessedness, would you agree with me? Right now, currently as I speak, hundreds and thousands of men and women are experiencing persecution for additional things. And both you and I could experience rejection, persecution over an ideology over a political affiliation, whether or not you wear masks, whether or not you take a vaccine. You might also experience persecution because of your acts of foolishness. Can I hear an amen? Because of your personal preferences, because you lack wisdom for poor choices, because you voice your strong opinions or your convictions. But seldom, I would say, that we suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. But this is the second time that Christ, in his opening statement, mentions righteousness. Previously, he said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So Christ is affirming that there is happiness in pursuing righteousness. However, again, this is contrary to what what the world pursues. The world, the unbeliever, the non-kingdom citizen... Chase after happiness by chasing and pursuing money, gold, status, success, positions of authority, influence, recognition, fame, pleasure, alcohol, drugs, sex, men, women, sexual freedom, vacation, travel, knowledge, entertainment, comfort, luxury, politics, or who is running the White House. However, Christ says the following, that happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, because it is only that that will truly satisfy. Again, it is only a kingdom citizen that pursues these things. They will pursue righteousness even when righteousness is unpopular, when righteousness is out of fashion, when, even when righteousness leads to persecution, suffering, vilification. And it is only that that will satisfy. It will satisfy us here, and it will provide eternal satisfaction as well. Saints, I know that you know this to be true. When we pursue righteousness, we, in return, live blessed lives. You see, as you seek righteousness, when you seek to respond in faith and obedience to Scripture, when you walk your life in full dependence in the Spirit of God, when you walk in faith, when you trust Him above everything else, even your own emotions, when you take your feelings, your emotions, and your desires captive to obedience to Christ, we start to experience blessedness in our personal lives. Would you agree? And it is, that, it is then when life becomes ever so difficult, in those moments of trial, in those moments of persecution, in those moments of anguish, that Christ becomes our satisfaction. Let me make this a little bit more, draw an application. Husb- uh, wives, as you pursue holiness and righteousness and to obey scripture, when your husband disappoints in those moments of trials and discomfort, at those very moments, it's when Christ becomes your satisfaction. Amen? Husbands, the same goes to you when your wife, I know you're waiting for it, does nothing wrong. (laughs) Christ is still your satisfaction. (laughs) Couples, as your marriages are falling apart, but you're trusting in Christ, not trusting on your spouse, you're trusting in Christ. In those moments of difficulty, Christ becomes your satisfaction. Parents, as your children disobey, parents, can I hear an amen? Christ becomes our satisfaction. As you lose your job, Christ becomes your satisfaction. As we age, I know you don't want to hear it, but as we age and health becomes, starts to deteriorate, deteriorate, Christ is our satisfaction. And as we respond in this way, it is precisely that reason that the world in return will hate us. They hate the Christian idea. The world oftentimes will band together to persecute Christians because they don't understand the reason for our living, why we give honor and glory to our King Jesus. But the irony is this, that history tells us how mankind has benefited from Christianity. Let me give you an example, the transatlantic slave trade was abolished in the Western Hemisphere because of a Christian, William Wilberforce to be exact, and an evangelical member of, English, uh, of the English parliament. Let me give you other examples. It is Christian organizations that adopt more children in America. It is Christians who, in America also, it was Christians who made higher education a priority and they founded uh, prestigious universities. It is Christians who have built hospitals, who have fed the hungry, and currently it is but Christians who run into disaster, run into war zones to minister, to serve the hurting, the afflicted, the orphan, the wounded. It is the Christians that do that. Also, it is Christians who stand in front of abortion mills to denounce the sin of abortion. They stand against the slaughter of the innocent image bearers in the womb. You see, without the church, not the building, but the believers inside the building, the world will not see the mighty hand of God at work through weak, feeble people. Let me remind you, saints, That God is in the business of using the not too many mighty, not too many noble, not too many wise, but the spiritually bankrupt, the spiritual beggar that is crying out for mercy. Can I hear an amen? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now as we read this, we must realize that only some will experience violent persecution. I want you to look at the text. Look at Christ's words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those is referring to a particular group. And again, if we look at the context, Christ was specifically addressing his men, not the multitude. So there are those who will have to experience violent persecution some and not all will experience it so this last beatitude as we read it again it's difficult as we read these words to take them in with joy and some have tried to dismiss this as being a part of the beatitude but not really belonging in christ's opening statements or pronouncements of blessings but if there's any doubt for you to try to disassociate this from his opening statements Christ reminds us that they're part of the same because he's gonna end this final beatitude with the same phrasing as the first beatitude. I want you to look at it. Matthew 5.3 and Matthew 5.10. Both the poor in spirit and the persecuted are blessed for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as we look at this, saints, We all have to ask ourselves, when I experience any type of persecution, am I experiencing this for righteousness sake or for my own preferences, for my own convictions, for my own opinions, for my own doing? I know these are difficult questions, you might be in doubt, and if this is you this morning, I wanna encourage you to pray. Ask the Lord in prayer to give you wisdom to be able to discern. I would encourage you to examine your behavior, examine your choices, your words, in addition, take, uh, use the benefit of godlier men and women that are around you, those that you trust, those that are, not, that are not gonna give you their own opinion, but rather they're gonna point you to Holy Scripture and have them look into the situation and help you determine if you're being persecuted for, God, for righteousness sake or for your own foolishness. Matthew five eleven, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I want you to notice that Christ provides additional insight and he expands what persecution looks like. See, again, church history is replete with examples of faithful men and women and, yes, even children who were physically persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, and executed for their faith. So it goes without saying that persecution has manifested itself with the sword, but Christ is now teaching us that persecution is also present or manifests itself with the tongue, with words. See, there's been an example in church history, again, where men and women have been slaughtered for their faith. And Jesus said the following, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Point number three, if you're still with me this morning, persecution with words. Persecution with words. I think this kind of hits home right now because currently in our culture, there's much emphasis on controlling speech. You see this in the political arena. Oftentimes dissenting opinions or diversity in thought are labeled as hate speech. Facts, truth, and and logic are most often called hateful, divisive, because it makes uh, a few people uncomfortable. And most often people will engage in lies to misrepresent another group that they don't agree with. They'll slander, they'll speak evil, they'll malign, they'll character assassin, they'll counsel, they'll censor any opposition. And again, this is popular in our media. This is not a new tactic for Christ is addressing that same issue right now and he says the following blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account and I ask you this morning who is Christ addressing in his beatitudes in his sermon who is he addressing he's addressing his men and by extension he's addressing kingdom citizens though not all will experience violence it appears that all will experience some type of persecution and that could be persecution with words but christ said happy are those that are criticizing an abusive or an angry or even being insulted Happy are those that are lied against that are slandered happy are those that the reputation has been damaged on account of christ again saints it's not uncommon for those who hate the gospel those who oppose the church to use lies and slander Christians, though this is true. Sadly, I notice how the church is running around, attempting to seek approval from the world, attempting to be hip, cool, relevant, how about this word, tolerant, attempting to garnish the favor of the enemies of God just to be accepted. And persecution of the tongue, Will produce this. Oftentimes, refusing to stand on the truth, refusing to mention of sin, death, wrath, punishment, judge, righteous living, calling people to holiness because we want to be accepted. And a older, godlier, much wiser saint said that persecution manifests itself with the sword, and when it does, it purifies the church. Think about it. When persecution Manifests itself with the church. Those that are not part of the church will not stick around. But persecution with the tongue does the following. It causes the church to compromise. It causes the church to not stand on truth. It causes the church to refrain from saying certain things for the fear of Persecution but this won't work saints the world will never accept us because they fundamentally hate the light they love darkness they love their sin again absent the work of the spirit they will not see they will not hear they will not respond they will not accept kingdom citizens because they hate God they hate scripture they hate Christians you don't believe me which I think you do. But John the Baptist is a perfect example. He was a unique character. This was a rugged, manly man. He did not desire the finer things in life. He was a simple man. How can I describe this in modern vernacular? He took his coffee black from AM, PM. He was on a strict, special diet. Wild honey and locusts. He had a unique sense of fashion, one that deprived him of any comfort. He was committed to the good news of the gospel, that he lived his entire existence in discomfort for the sake of the gospel, for staying ever so vigilant and laser focused. He wore a camel hair tunic and a leather belt, hot, I want you to envision this, hot, itchy, rough, with an AMPM cup of coffee in his hand, <laughs> yet his critics said the, fol- the following of him, Matthew 11, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And look at what they said of Christ, verse 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus further stated on how the world will never accept us no matter what we do. In John 15, starting in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. This is the reality, saints. Godly living living will result in some sort of persecution, either by the hand in the form of violence, or by the tongue in the form of evil lies and slander. Though not many might be burning at the stake some of you might be experiencing some sort of persecution. But I wanna encourage you with this verse. It's right there in your outline, 2 Timothy 3, 12. And it says the following, Indeed all, all repeat those two words. Indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Make that your life, verse. So uh, Matthew 5, 10 and 11 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I want you to look at the text again and help me out. Who is doing the persecuting? The simple answer would be, at a glance, it appears that it's the world kingdom of darkness, possibly the government, possibly culture, however again we've seen in in the past and currently how enemies of God will use laws, they'll use the courts, they'll use the power of the sword, the power of mob rule to intimidate, to coerce, to extinguish, to drive out kingdom citizens and this is true of in, in, in our history the sad reality that there's more because there's attacks that come within, in, in word form and sometimes these attacks come from within, from within the church, from fellow Christians, from fellow church members, from brothers and sisters that you care, you cherish, and you love, from your friends, from your families that at times behave sinfully. And I would say that it is these attacks that sting the most. You see, we kind of expect for the enemies of God to stand against scripture, to question its infallibility, its veracity, its accuracy. They twist and mangle the text, but we don't expect that from fellow Christians. And it's extremely painful when those that walk among us use hateful words to tear down, to gossip, to slander, to revile one another. And when these Christians behaving sinfully do so, it stings, and it's painful. I would say that the pain is more profound. And in a group this size, I trust that you've experienced this. I know you have. I know some of you that have been personally mocked or ridiculed by other so-called Christians, other family members, just because you have an allegiance to Christ and to his word. Amen? I know you have. Why? Because you seek to honor Christ above all things. Some of you have been mocked because you show care and sacrifice, love and allegiance to your church family over your personal or your human, earthly family. Or about this one when you faithfully point a struggling brother, a sinning brother to Scripture, I know you felt the pressure or you felt the sting when they reject God's Word. I know you felt the sting when they say, come on, man, give me a break, I don't wanna hear that right now. Do you think you're better than me? Are you judging me right now? Why are you so narrow-minded? You've been brainwashed, or how about this one? You belong to a cult. Why can't you think on your own? What happened to you? How could you believe in such an outdated, uh, irrelevant book written by men to say whatever they wanted to say? When we hear these words from so-called Christians or Christians behaving sinfully, it stings. And it is also a form of persecution. But allow me to remind you this morning that God allows persecution for a purpose. Amen? You're not convinced, but he does. God allows persecution of kingdom citizens for a purpose. And the Puritan writer Thomas Thomas Brooks stated in his book, Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. And I'm going to paraphrase here. But he said and he wrote that it was not uh, Stephen saw the heavens open and Christ standing at the right hand of God only when stones were launched towards him and when he was but a short step between him and eternity. And this is true. God uses persecution to reveal himself in a faithful character. And he gives us a heavenly perspective. It is there in the midst of persecution in the thick of it when persecution starts to heat up inside that hot and fiery furnace, inside the lion's den, when boulders were flying your way, as you're facing the sword, as you're facing the guillotine, under Nero's oppressive reign, and yes, even with persecution with words, that Christ will appear. It is there that he is ever-present. Can I hear any amen to that truth? Now, let me wrap this up. I know as you hear a sermon on persecution, there might be two possible responses maybe more, but I'm only going to focus on two. You know, some of you as you hear this, some of you might be tempted to say, I'm ready. Bring it. I got my AR-15. I'm good to go. And because you feel this way, you might start looking for persecution. You might be tempted to behave obnoxiously you might be tempted to provoke others you might be fired up and willing to put yourself in unnecessary conflicts and as you behave in such a way you might strongly believe that you are only suffering persecution for righteousness sake but this is simply repercussions for your own foolishness this is wrong, this is sinful this is not what Christ is asking of you Now if I just described you this morning, be cautious. This might be your pride getting the best of you. You see, all of us like Peter could say the same thing. All of us like Peter will say, I will die with you, Christ. I will go to the cross with you. Though we might be saying this right now, it is true of some of us in this room at this very moment that you're living for yourselves. You're living to make yourself known your own efforts, your own sufferings. No, in pride, you just want to be recognized by others. Others might quickly profess or state, I'm willing to die for Christ, yet you're refusing to put your choice in to death. We're quick to say, I'll go to the guillotine, I'll go and and meet whatever punishment's coming my way, yet you're refusing to kill your anger your pride, your bitterness, your lying, your stealing, your immorality, your gossip, your lust, your pornography, your self-sufficiency, your drunkenness, your drug addiction. You're refusing to put that to death, but you're quick to say, I will die uh, with Christ. I will die for Christ. Why? Because we're deceived. We'll run towards our sin. We want to keep it alive, taking momentary pleasure in it. Having a divided heart with secret compartments. I've said this before. In a divided heart, one compartment will say, I will die with Christ. I will die for Christ. And on the other secret compartment, we hide our choice sin. And if this is you this morning, allow me to exhort you to repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Cry out for mercy. If this is you, and you refuse to bow the knee before the king of kings, you are behaving like the fool that is re- recorded in Psalm 14 that says, "No God for me. That's one response. The other response is this. As you hear, it talks about the sword, persecution, slander, people coming against you to drive you out. Some of you might be... Uh, feeling unable to endure any type of persecution. If that's you, you don't have to say it out loud. Welcome to the club. Some of you might say, I don't know if I'll be able to withstand. And I want to encourage you this morning, I want to remind you of some great truths. And the truth is the following. You're right, you won't be able to do it on your own. Why, because you're weak, you're unable, You can't do this on your own. But I want to remind you that His grace is sufficient in your time of need. If this is you, faint of heart, doubting if you will endure, I want you to remind you of His faithful character, that He is able. He's omnipotent. He's gracious. He's merciful. He is able and hold you. He's able to hold you every step of the way. In that book that I just highlighted earlier, Five English Reformers, They describe a fellow brother, an English reformer by the name of Thomas Cramner. You're not familiar with him. He was involved in the Reformation in England. And when Queen Mary made it to the throne, she went after him. And um, she threatened to kill him. After a long trial, he was forced to recant his Orthodox Christian position. He was fearing punishment. He was fearing the fire and he recanted and he put it in writing. This was usually met with forgiveness by the kings or queens but Mary was out on a vengeance to get her pound of flesh and she pronounced judgment on him. Though he recanted, she was still going to burn him alive. And um, in the year of uh, 1556 he was burned but i want you to listen to the following yes he recanted out of fear he wrote the following he before i read it he was given an opportunity to address the people and he wrote his manuscript and he submitted it beforehand but when he was there standing in that platform He deviated from the script, and he wrote the following. And now I come to the great thing that troubled my conscience more than any other things that I ever said or did in my life, and that is the setting abroad of writings contrary to the truth. And for as much as my hand offended in writing contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall first be punished. For if I may come to the fire, it shall be first burned. And as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine. As he said that, deviating from the text, this fearful brother was armed with courage. And history books tell us that he put his hand out to the fire, the hand, his right hand which he used to write his recantation, and he stood there. And just like Peter, our brother was restored. Just like Peter, he was armed with courage because our God is a gracious God. Can I hear an amen? And he has promised not to leave us nor forsake us. So let me wrap this up, saints. Persecution is promised, but not all will experience the sword or physical death. Most of us, all of us will uh, will experience persecution with words That might cause our hearts to become discouraged and what might cause us to compromise. However, in those moments, His grace is sufficient. And my prayer this morning is the following that as you experience persecution for righteousness' sake, that you would remember the words of the one who was truly persecuted, that you would remember the words of the one who was abandoned, who was persecuted by his enemies, by sinful men, by a sinful government. The one who was mocked, reviled, spoken evil against, slandered, misrepresented, ridiculed, betrayed. The one who was abandoned by his friends, his disciples, his family. For it was Christ who was chased out. It was Christ who was threatened. It was Christ who was beaten. It was Christ who was scourged. It was Christ who was spit upon. It was Christ who was whipped, slapped. It was Christ who was stripped naked and hung on a cross. It was Christ who was executed by Roman soldiers. And it is precisely him, the Prince of Peace, the humble one, the meek one, the great shepherd that said the following, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he further said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account. Let's pray.